You're listening to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. But before we enjoy a deep conversation together, I want to remind you why we're here. This podcast, it's about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, purpose, impact, and prosperity for all. We want to encourage you to think a little wider about your own life from your personal and professional development to also ask the question, how can I make a meaningful impact with my life? It's time for us to find a way to live in resonance with each other and all living things. And at Sacred Changemakers, we're here to help to build the foundations of a more equitable, loving and resonant world. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Sometimes we'll be interviewing change makers and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. Now, today's episode is sponsored by Coaches Business School, the world's leading business training for coaches and consultants, helping them to succeed in business so they can make a meaningful difference in our world. Go to coachesbusinessschool.com to get the tools, strategies, and frameworks you need to enjoy growing your business in a way that is profitable, predictable, and purpose-driven. And a big thank you to all of our coaches, because without them, this wouldn't be possible. Okay, guys, so our guest on the podcast this week is Dr. Linda Ulrich, TEDx speaker, best-selling author, and founder of The Goodness Exchange, the home for goodness in the world. There you will find articles, podcasts, events, and a private social media community built around celebrating countless remarkable efforts that are solving the world's most vexing problems, both small and large. Out of our chaotic, seemingly doomed world, Dr. Linda's voice arises with a strategy for action. She excludes no one and casts no stones. Instead, she points to an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that she calls the conspiracy of goodness of our times. So let me welcome Linda to the podcast. Welcome, Linda. Hello, Jane. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. I really am because our title for today's conversation is one that kind of really fills me with curiosity and I can't wait to talk to you about it. Exposing the conspiracy of goodness. Now, before we dive deep into that conspiracy, I'd love for our audience to find out just a little bit more about you as a, as a human behind the bio. Who is she? I think a, a good way to start is to recognize um, how we be very often we become um, the limiting beliefs of the folks who are growing us up in the world. So I, I grew up, I was born in 1960, and I, I grew up in a world where women only had three choice, four choices, flight attendant, nurse, a teacher, or um, a secretary. And... <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, I didn't become any of those things. And, and ever since I realized that was the scheme of things, I was just um, out to march to a different drummer. So I'm the different drummer when people talk, talk about, um, about conformity and, and fearlessness and creativity and stuff. I'm just out there sort of, um, sort of trying to find what I'm uniquely built to contribute and, and give it every day. Mm. So what are you passionate about? 
Well, I, I have a childhood tragedy that I would rather not go into, but um, at, at age 15, I really um, saw a really bleak side of humanity and, you know, sort of innocence lost. And um, I went, I somehow had this alchemy and this upbringing by some good people that made me go in search of the alternative view. Uh, when you're faced with tragedy early in life, I think that there's two human reactions, which would just be to to be fearful and lead a life um, that is, you know, you make all your choices based on fear. And my parents, I was very fortunate. They, they were the kind of people that would make me make choices based on love for the world. And and so that's that's who I became right from out of the starting gate. I was kind of a social justice warrior. I always wanted people to do right by each other. And um, I recognized the beauty and the fragility of life. Um, and all my life, my professional life, and, um, and now in the second climb, that's what I do. <laughs> right. And I like that you say the second climb. So I, if you don't mind me asking, what was the first? <laughs> so I I have been a dentist for 30 years. And and when I say that, I know everyone kind of wants to reflect on what what they know as their dentist. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> but I gotta make just a little bit of a qualifier. Um my father was one of those last of the Mohican physicians in the world. He was that kind of good old family doc that delivered your baby, took out your appendix, you had his home phone number, he held your hand when you were dying. He met you at the emergency room when your kid took his mini bike through a barbed wire fence. And um, and he was a great servant to humanity in that way. Now we never saw him. Right. We, we we got what was left. Right. <laughs> but I did see the most remarkable example of servant leadership, and and you know all these buzzwords that come up these days. I I think that we're referring to people like my dad, um, who who gave it all. He just left nothing on the table at the end of each day, and so. I, I think I come at life um, appreciating that and the impact it can have on others because I, I just saw so much beauty just go in his wake. And I, I know that I grew up thinking that way, so, uh, but I knew um, that I could not carry on the kind of life he had, not, not, not being around your family. So that was the missing link, right? So my husband and I were both um, childhood sweethearts. We met when we were 14 and we could both see this life that was so precious, but so so wrong in so many ways as far as being a whole human being. So <laughs> there was a dentist who lived next door and he drove in that driveway every night at 6.05 and he was at his kids' baseball games and so forth. And so my husband and I became dentists and I've been a dentist for 30 years before I was a positive media mogul. <laughs> wow, wow. But, you know, all I can think as I'm listening to you, Dr. Linda, is how lucky were you to have that input around, you know, your father being a great servant to humanity, as you said that. Oh, because yeah. what what strikes me as I was listening to you was so many of us don't have that in our lives as we're growing up and we haven't built it into our education systems either. So, you know, there are so many people that go through life and don't 
even understand what that means. So I'd love you just to share a few insights really for, mm-hmm. for our listeners about, you know, and you don't need to go into specifics, but what did you learn from that? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a, a story. So when my dad um, retired, he, he was that kind of humanitarian. He became the dentist at the local prison. I mean, the, uh, the physician at the local prison. And, um, and we thought, no, dad, like retire, <laughs> go travel, Do, you know, be with us now. No, no. Even in retirement, he had to be given to others. And here's a great example of what he taught me. He would come every, come home every night at dinner and sit at the dinner table and tell this was a maximum security prison that served mostly inmates from the South side of Chicago, which is a very dangerous world. And he would, he was such a great, great man. I'm sure he protected these guys dignity to no end. And they told him his life stories. So every night at dinner, he would share these life stories with us. And you know, his take on almost every one, Jane, was that it was by accident of birth that he didn't wind up there. And very often it it came down to one split second decision the wrong way that these folks ended up having these tragic lives. Accident of birth, one wrong decision. And to my dad, he would never ever forget to point out that we were so very fortunate and that with great good fortune comes great responsibility and we we were built to use it yes and i just think that to to get that message at such a long young age Mm -hmm. kind of you know moving into dentistry now i don't know you very well dr linda but you know one of the things that i think about in my own life is and, and that's why I was interested in your first and second climb is yeah. there were times where I had a job, then I had a career, then I had a calling, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of get the sense of that progression with you. But even when I think back to your first climb, I bet the way you were as a dentist was still, let me just say, like very awake and aware because of the input that you'd had, mm-hmm. the gift, if you like, that your dad brought you from your accident of birth, if you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it came down to. Yeah. Um, so how, so we did it during, during our formative years as young professionals, medicine in the United States was going in what, what my husband and I profoundly consider the wrong direction. It was becoming all about the insurance company and paperwork and um, litigation sort of behavior. And um, it was becoming patients are a number and you had seven minutes with your doctor. My dad saw all this coming because when we were two years into dental school, we went to my dad and we said, you know, we think we're going to be physicians. And he said, don't don't do it. It's not going to be like the life you saw me lead. You they will start limiting the time physicians have with their patients. It won't be a creative diagnosis anymore. It will be something way, way different. And so we stuck with dentistry, but we, we created a practice where we were devoted to keeping the humanity in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And that mean, meant we didn't put on roller skates. If some little old lady needed to talk to me about her scary nephew that had moved in, who she, she was afraid of, then guess what? We didn't do the filling. We sat there and we would talk about strategies to deal with the 
scary nephew and my assistant would run off and activate every every uh, social structure, the safety net, the social safety net for this poor woman so that she would come out of her visit to our office in a safer, better place. Mm. And um, and so that's what we did. We I found something to celebrate with every single patient. And so it became so um, so we became so so deeply enmeshed in this philosophy of keeping the humanity in healthcare that it, it's common in our office to people for people to keep their dental appointment on their day their spouse dies in our practice. Wow. And that is tough. That is tough going. Yeah. But you know, what I've learned um, from that, from having to just walk in that room. I mean, of course, we have a morning huddle where we learn that Mrs. So-and-so is coming and her husband just died yesterday. Um, okay, so we've learned to just walk in that room and find something to celebrate about this this great human being that we will all miss and just turn to turn to um turn to what there is to celebrate i I can't express it any more than that is that because of the way i grew up and the way i experienced that early trauma i am always looking for missed potential because i i know my time is so short and so, um, so I feel like when I sit down with a patient, sure, I'm going to fix their tooth and I'm going to do a darn good job of it, but also I'm going to fix their heart. I'm going to fix whatever I can fix. And sometimes, as you pointed out earlier, people just need somebody to, to say something um, empowering yeah. or uh, say something that opens a window and a door. Yeah. And so, and and I, I can tell you if you want the the way that all translates into the positive media mogul. <laughs> well, I was going to say actually because as you as I'm listening to you speak, oh. I'm like, oh, so there are the seeds that you planted, yes. and you're already embodying a conspiracy of goodness in your dental practice, which then makes perfect sense that you would then expand expand that out on a global level, you know, using technology and stuff to mm-hmm. do so. So yes, please do tell us because. I, I see the seeds now. I see the path opening mm. up before you. <laughs> okay. So, um, so, uh, so, you know, I'm particularly tuned in to the fact that most of us have like a unique set of circumstances that, um, and everything that happened until this day is important to how we, how we, how this moment goes, right? Like nothing is wasted time. And so there I was going along being a really good dentist. I was fixing teeth with computers in 2003, which was unheard of. Wow. But, but let's let's check a box for becoming a media mogul, a global media mogul, is that I was kind of tech savvy early. And so we could check that box. Um, so that made me kind of fearless to do with anything on the internet. So that that was there. And then this deep dive with every patient, I started to really appreciate the struggle humanity was having. All my cheerful patients were struggling with the negative news and the craziness on social media by about 2010, 11, 12. It was getting something that broke my heart with with so many visits every day is that people I'd, I'd known as otherwise cheerful were so easy to slip down the downward spiral conversations. And I kept saying, oh, my God, somebody's got to do something about this. This is just tragic. Because all the while, Jane, um, my husband and I, um, we were traveling with our children all over the world doing 
journeys of, of purpose. And we were going to some bleak places in the world. And you know what? <laughs> People are so amazing. It, they are so ingenious. The less they have, the more ingenious they are. The less they have, the more generous they are. Uh, and uh, But I knew that my patients who were becoming so fearful by the news and social media were never going to see that version of humanity, never. And it broke my heart. It was such missed potential. So one day when I kept saying, somebody's got to do something about this, and I was sort of trudging along, <laughs> uh, one day I got an email from a young man who I'd known since a, a, a toddler, and he sent me an email that was very tough um, from a foxhole in the world. He'd signed up for the army thinking that's what he could do to make the world a better place. He came from a very illustrious military family, and boy, he was down. He was saying it all. You know, the news from home was so terrible. This place, there's, it's nothing, there's nothing good can ever happen. And I tell you, Jane, I, it was a shift. It was, it was a major shift. That person who kept saying somebody's got to do something about that, this became me. And so I went on a mad search of the internet to try and find some place to send this kid that had no politics and no ads, because, you know, we both all know that those right. produce incredible agendas. Right. Some place that I could, he could see the, the light that existed, the, the ingenuity and the innovation, the promise of the future. And after about two days of completely insane um, Google searching, I just snapped and I said, that's it. <laughs> I said, I'm going to write one article every day on anything under the sun to prove it's still an amazing world. Mm -hmm. And I did. <laughs> I found a local guy who could build me kind of a passion project sort of website. And off we went. Wow. So I love because you're speaking to something that is a very important issue right now, I think, in the world that, you know, some of us are aware of and some of us aren't. And, and, and that is how our lives are shaped by media and how media is shaped by, you know, that cliche that bad news sells. <laughs> and therefore, what do we get? Well, we get bad news because it's all about profit, isn't it? So I love that you've taken the, you've kind of like taken the, the, the opposite stance, right? You're, you're the antithesis now. So when somebody is calling you a positive media mogul, like I get it now mm. because that's exactly what we need to balance out the biases towards bad news. So it started as this passion project. I get that. But like, how did you go from there to the goodness exchange, which is where you are today? I mean, please tell us what happened, because we all we're all kind of led to believe that bad news sells and good news. Yeah. You know, nobody's interested in it. But what have you found, Dr. Linda? So here's what I found. So uh, so the first two years I, I had my kids were pretty little still. I had an eighth grader, a, a 10th grader and a freshman in college when I started. And um and what I found was that there was a way, way, way more goodness and progress in the world than I ever dreamed. I started out thinking I might spend an hour searching and and then, you know, a half hour writing about it. But I, I remember the day about three months in when I had a list of links, 350 long. And I was never going to get, and, and this is not like puppies in mailboxes stuff. This is, this is, uh, 
These are innovations like Topher White, who's discovered that we can use old cell phones to save all the remaining rainforest in the world. These, these sort of things are out there and we're just not hearing about it. And um, so what, okay, so what I discovered after about a year or two is that what we see on the internet, what rises to the top is only a slice of reality. And here's the big secret. The big secret is that what we give our attention to expands. The algorithms and the internet and almost every corner of the internet is now built to trigger our worst, most irresistible impulses, fear, anger, and scarcity. So the internet is essentially an attention economy. Nothing else matters there, but capturing and holding our attention. And we can change that. Right. <laughs> this, this is my message is that the way the algorithms work sounds doom and gloom. But you know, they're, they're nothing more than a shortcut. They're just seeing what we gave our attention to a minute ago, which could be something darn scary if we were on the internet on autopilot. Right. But if we go to the internet with intention, we can teach our algorithms what we want to see next. And that gives us all the power. Oh my God, I'm on the edge of my seat now. I want to yeah. know <laughs> because I'm like, oh, please, yeah. you know, help okay. me shape the internet in a way mm -hmm. that's better for me. So yeah, I'm okay. excited to hear. <laughs> okay, so there are four, four, four shifts. Now these are simple, simple, simple things, but it's just a way of looking at at how you go to the internet. I, I'm sure um, I'm sure people don't, uh, people probably when I say it, they're going to go, yeah, that is kind of the way it worked out. But I don't believe there are any evil geniuses at the heart of this story. In, in, um, in 1993, there were 300 websites in the whole world in 1993. And by 2003, there were 40 million. And, and believe me, I, I've done a lot of research. I, I think that the engineers who invented the internet were just like running into work every day, excited to find more and better ways to connect us all and to connect us all to information. There's no evil genius, no conspiracy at the back of this thing. It's just that something had to rise to the top as an organizing principle when we went from 300 to 40 million. And it became what we give our attention to. Okay, what I love about that is that, that once people know these four shifts, um, that you can't unsee the you can't unsee this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so here's how it goes. Here's why I tell people to start seeing an entirely different world in the in the their online lives. First, what you do is you never ever ever go to the internet on autopilot. I go to the internet, I work on the internet probably 10 hours a day, but I go there with intention. And I never, ever, ever um, let it, uh, I never let it trigger my amygdala. I never follow my emotions over a cliff there. So there are four shifts. First, what you do is when you go to the internet, before you click on anything, pause. Because someone is counting every click we make. Our click is a vote. Anything we give our attention to, even if it's leaving us, you know, horrified or frightened or bewildered, we're going to get more of that. It's just the way the internet's built. So I tell people to pause before you click on anything. You know that kind of scroll, scroll and click, scroll and click, Jane, that we mm -hmm. all do at lunch? Oh, yeah. Okay, so your click is like a vote. 
So every so when you're randomly scrolling and clicking, this part of your brain called your amygdala, the the, the, the lizard brain, mm-hmm. is in the driver's seat. And without even knowing it, you're going to get triggered to click on things, even if you stop for only a millisecond, that stimulate that part of your brain that's looking for danger and disorder. Mm. Uh, but if you if you if you're wise to the game being played with your emotions, you can go, oh no, I'm not clicking on that. I'm not clicking on that. That blobfish, that horrifying headline, that <laughs> that political statement that's making me crazy. No, even if it's our team. Uh, so what I tell people is. Before you click on anything, pause and ask yourself one question. <laughs> Do we need more of this? Right. Like the big we, like does the world need more of this? If it's zealous shouting from some corner, if it's not thoughtful, if it's not helpful, do not give your attention to it. And that brings me to my to the second shift. Um, ignore more. The pr- Practical tip there is I never ever click out of the ABC mode, anger, boredom, or that morbid curiosity, ABC. So like um, if I see the anaconda, you know, the big snake with the human form in it, the picture. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, don't click on that because you're going to get nothing but anacondas and blobfish from here on out. (laughs) Right. Or if you see a headline that says, two death ships docked in Miami. No. (laughs) Even if you're going on a cruise next week, don't click on it. Because all this content that is that stimulates us to click on it out of anger, boredom or morbid curiosity is built to capture and hold our attention. And you know how it goes. You you go, well, I'm just going to go on on social media for 10 minutes. That's it. While I eat my sandwich. No, you're there an hour later. Right. Because we are sort of powerless to ignore the way our brains are hardwired. So I just say, just never go to the internet except with purpose. And you're going to start clicking on things that bring me to the third shift, which is seek signs of goodness and progress. Mm-hmm. Because that's back to the algorithm. So the algorithms, it's a big word, but it's a really simple concept. They were originally developed just to be a shortcut. So if we if we looked to be very interested in this or that, the with the billions of websites out there, it was it, the algorithms were created to give us more of what we looked like looked like we were interested in. The trouble is, if you go to social media and you see um, a very fractious, friction uh, filled something, and you were like, Ugh, and you click on that, you just gave that thing a vote. And God forbid you make a you make a some kind of a comment against the thing because you know it's going to happen. Um, you make your comment. You think you're setting that person straight, <laughs> I... and and thirty forty people come in right behind you to contradict you. Well, that just gave that nasty posting what I call link juice, hmm. and that's how crazy stuff mean stuff, stuff we don't need, stuff that's ruining our future rises to the top of the internet. We, we, and the best thing is, I just keep, I keep saying it, we can change that. So if we, if our algorithms see us seeking signs of goodness and progress, um, that's what they're going to serve us. And that brings you to the fourth shift, which is when you see signs of goodness and progress, share it. 
you know, on that website where the, the like button is here and the and the share button is there and you see a posting that your neighbor kid raised $200 for the Humane Society and he's 10 years old. For gosh sakes, move your finger over one inch and push share it. <laughs> <laughs> because we will get more of what we share. Content creators don't even give one hoot about likes anymore. They're all just um, watching very carefully what we share. And, and no one, here's the big, the big finish. No one is creating content if we won't click on it. No one. Right. right. So that's the four shifts, pause, ignore more, seek signs of goodness and progress and share it. And we can open the, we can open a new era. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that because I've never really thought of training the internet to show me what I really want yes. to see. You know, I've only ever, well, I, I think I, usually if I go to the internet, it's because I'm feeling a little bit unconscious and not present and just yeah. kind of, and so it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because it kind of, so I've got to tell you this because it, it really did make me smile as you were talking. You reminded me of my my mom in a bit like so this is this is going to be weird now right okay That's so okay. when when I was younger and I was starting to date and I was probably in my teenage years I remember saying to me you need to train the boys how to treat you <laughs> right and 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 she had these four things that I had to, I can't even remember what they were now but as you were talking now I'm like oh my god it's like the boyfriend thing I've got to treat the internet and train it how I want it to respond to me. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And, and I tell you, I've had more than a few people with a laugh, with a smile on their face, say, yeah. um, say, you know, you've ruined my lunch hour. <laughs> <laughs> because once you see, once you learn this is happening with your attention, mm. and once you learn the game being played with your emotions, you can't unsee it and right. you will start notice you're going to go oh, and you're not going to click on it you could could you ask yourself do we need more of this i tell people even like even if it's like none of us i i believe we are at a state now where nobody wants to hear people shouting anymore right at each other or even if it's our team we don't we want we feel awkward when people's dignity is shot mm. And I, I think that that's a basic human instinct that got us out of, out of the gladiator phase, that got us out of World War II, that got us out of women not being able to vote, that got us out of child labor. I think there's something built into our core. Mm. I've got goosebumps now. Mm. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but you've driven me there. Um, I think there's something at our core about protecting the other person's dignity not all of us not by any stretch of the imagination all of us but i believe it's most of us or we would still be black in the in the gladiator stage hmm. yeah. and maybe it's only 51 percent. but can i give you a really positive number that i hang my hat on whenever my knuckles are dragging yes please do okay so this journey we could go there too if you want but this journey has not been a uh, uh, a, a piece of cake. It's been a, an emotional roller coaster ride. Right. <laughs> most people out of common sense would have quit a long time ago. I've been on such a loop de loop journey trying to keep this going and get goodness and positivity to rise to the, rise to the top. But um, I, I really think it's important that we 
that we acknowledge that when that the internet should be nothing more than a tool. I know it's it's so much of a part of the fabric of our life now, but you know, Jane, we used to have a working life and a personal life. Yeah. And and we worked hard not to let the one interfere with the other. Didn't do you remember when that was a I thing? I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, my daughter's a very hefty uh uh believer in everything is possible, but she's also a real critic. She doesn't have a Pollyanna bone in her body. But she tells me it's still like that. That everybody's trying to not let their working life mingle with their private life. But I tell you what's happening. We've got this online life that's affecting them both. Mm. It's stealing time from our family and it's stealing time from our, what's possible for us because we've got such a limited view and, and, our, and, and we're so sad and, and fearful. So we've got to ring this in. So here's how I perceive the internet and what could happen next is that, <laughs> okay, stay with me. The internet is nothing more than a human construct. It's no different nor more important than the printing press, than the automobile, than cell phone technology. The internet is simply a human's construct. And there has never been a human construct that didn't need reimagining after about 15 to 20 years. We don't, I mean, the steam engine became a dangerous, horrifying, giant monster. Uh, the industrial revolution became a giant monster polluting our world and 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 killing people. We we rethought it after about 20 years, and I think we're there for the internet. I think it's been a wonderful ride, but now we're seeing that we've got um it's grown into this monster that's hijacking our future. And so my hope is that when I speak and when I write and when people look at the 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 evidence for a brighter future that we're pointing to that they will say, gosh, the internet is like a hammer. It's just a tool. And like a hammer, it can be used to build things or demolish things, but it is our choice. Yeah. I love where you're taking this because you're talking now to me about something that's really important, I think for all of us at this inflection point right now, which is, you know, our relationship with these tools, are we going to be intentional about defining what we want our relationship to be with this tool? Or are we just going to let the tool do what it does? And, you know, we just stay kind of passive and lose our sovereignty or our agency in the process. Because I've never thought of it like this, this conflict, the tensions. And I found myself recently, um, like moving away from platforms like Facebook, because mm -hmm. it's just not res now I'm understanding what they're standing for and, mm -hmm. and how they're monetizing that platform. It's a different value base to what I want to, like you say, Dr. Linda, vote for. So I love this because I think there's, I think you're asking a very, very important mm -hmm. question that we all need to answer. You know, like, will we get intentional? Will we not? Will we define the relationship we have with technology and the internet? Or will we allow that to just happen? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we almost become the tool and the internet then becomes the sovereign power. <laughs> As we could argue, it already is in some ways. And for some people, that's the way yeah. it is. But yeah. 
So that 20 year number I gave you, I have one even. So it, the 20 year number gives me hope because if you just look at history, if you're any kind of a history buff, you can see the places in history where we lived with something for about 15 to 20 years. And then we said, well, Nellie, we got to reimagine this yeah, over and over again. It's every technology. Um, so I love that number because we're there and we can, that means we can open a new era and think this through again. But here's another number that really gets me excited. So at some point, my knuckles were super dragon one day, and I was probably at one of the lowest points in, in this in this work. And I went to LinkedIn, which I never did. There's so much serendipity. I, I, I We could talk on and on about how we got to leave room for serendipity in our lives. Mm -hmm. But serendipitously, I went to LinkedIn, and my eyes landed on a graphic with a study that was done by the World Economic Forum. And the question was, how many people does it take? What percent of people does it take to make something go from the edges of society to becoming the norm? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say let's say I I imagine getting a whole bunch of people in the world to understand the four shifts and to 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 start going to the internet with intention. How many people do I have to get before we can actually change the game being played on the internet? And on my dark days, I will admit, Jane. <laughs> because <laughs> I can be dark too. I know I, I, I'm like Mrs. Positivity, but on my dark days, I would say, it's got to be 80%. I got to get this message out in front of 80% of people on the planet. Now that looks tough going. Now on a good day, when everything is going swell, I would have said 51%. We got to get 51% of people to know that this is how it works and then use the internet um, uh, with a new kind of intention and then we got it, okay? <laughs> But the number is so much better than that. They hired uh, the World Economic Forum hired a study done by the um, by the University of Pennsylvania and the University of London, and they found that to get something to go from the edges of society to becoming the norm is only twenty five percent. What? <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. And this is and it's neuroscience after that. Once you get 25%, it's all about how, uh, it, I could go into the weeds on this, but it's all about um, our sense of belonging. Like, mm -hmm. and you can take any social trend from pet rocks to whatever you want. Once 25% of people think that this is the way you do it, then the rest is all about neuroscience, belonging, and our wanting to to be live in agreement with our with the people around us, and our wanting to you know fit in and all that. But twenty five percent, well, heck, twenty five percent of the people I know want a better world, right? Twenty five percent of the people in my in my in every single circle in my life, at least twenty five percent of them want the future to be brighter than what we're seeing on the news and social media, right? And that gives me hope because I can do 25%. That can be done. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've got this vision now of us all doing 25%. Yes. <laughs> and if we all could do that with just a quarter of the people in our lives, we'd be yeah. onto something massive. Yes. It 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 and, and because remember that fundamental principle, no one is creating content if we won't click on it. Mm -hmm. They just go at if you know, we all do this. This is another thing I, I have to point out is that we think there's some bad guys doing that, counting every click we make. Like there's some bad, evil people out there doing that. <laughs> but Jane, we count clicks. Mm. I, I mean, if if my daughter puts a picture of she and her dog on Instagram and it doesn't get so many clicks, she's checking it 
And she's a she's a really sane human being. She's not even kind of a, really that interested in fitting in, but she'll go and count the clicks. And if it doesn't resonate with every, all her followers, she'll take the thing down and maybe never post a picture of her and her dog again. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you go and make a social media posting, it's part of all of our psyche, most of us, at least, I don't know, maybe I'm, but we go, we go there and we count clicks. So I think, I don't think there's any evil gene. I, I think there is a, a bad intention to hijack our, our attention with this neuroscience that they're using to get us capturing, hold our, our attention. But I don't think there that this whole counting clicks thing is something um, straight out of the the evil genius playbook it's what it's what's happened on the internet but we can re, re but we can reimagine that we can reimagine that mm. so when you reimagine it what what's your vision i mean why is this so important to you and where is it where do you want it to lead for all of us so so when we started when i personally started curating the internet um for goodness and progress back in 2000 13, 14. And I was just me. I was just me. My kids would go to bed at night and I'd be tapping away or trying to seek, you know, find stuff to share with on this website every day. Um, again, I mentioned that I was just overwhelmed by how much was there. But don't forget what was happening, Jane. I was seeking signs of goodness and progress. Right. So my algorithm started feeding it to me. Right. And I was, so it just, so it expanded and then fortunately there's a great turn of events here um i my oldest daughter i bet you i hadn't spoken 200 sentences to her all in total while she was in college <laughs> we had very much the kind of frictional mother-daughter thing going on and um, my daughter graduated from harvard jane now i never knew anyone who went to harvard never no one in my town i grew up in my little town ever went to harvard it was like some crazy thing that she did that and that when she graduated she sat me down on my porch and she said mom i looked at a lot of nonprofits in the world and i think that you got the the idea i want to i want to help with mm -hmm. and that was about 20% of the words she'd ever said to me in the last four years. So, uh, but yeah, that really, that changed everything. Um, because then I had a young person, a millennial, a tech savvy person who, um, could say, no, mom, that's dumb mm. <laughs> or that's too old fashioned or that, no, we've got to do this. And she said, if you build a real website, um, I will help you. So we, we had the real professional version that you, Mm. You, um, that you see today um, built. And then we went off together. And of course, you know, people succeed in groups, Jane. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is the thing. Um, there are no real change makers in the world who do it alone. Mm. You've got to be fortunate enough to have a few, at least a few strategic um, people who think so differently from you that they, that that your combined strengths make your weaknesses irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get that. So let me ask you, you know, what is your vision then for, you know, the world of, mm -hmm. of goodness and positivity? Mm -hmm. What, what, what are you, what is your mission for the two of you coming together in what looks like a, mm -hmm. to me anyway, as a, in a very powerful and profound way? 
Well, we recently shifted, had made a, a bit of a shift to meet, I think, something that's very, very important happening in society. Um, Jane, have you talked about with on your show much or would people know about this thing called the great resignation? Does that resonate yes, at all? I would think so. Yeah, I would think okay. so. So for anybody who doesn't, there's this there's this really huge trend. You type in great resignation at Google search it um, and don't click on anything that says death ship docked in Miami. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you put that in a Google search, you're going to learn that there are some really, really important statistics um, about people um, quitting their jobs right now. At the top, you would have never thought at the end, you know, as the pandemic is progressing, you got people actually quitting their jobs. Well, I think what's important about this trend is I think it's more the great questioning. I think people are looking at what they're doing and where they landed as far as their life's work or where they're working right now. And they're saying, whoa, wait a minute. Is this what I'm uniquely built to contribute? Is it getting me there? Is If I do this another three, five, God forbid, 20 years, is, is that going to give me the life that I'm glad I led? And I think it's the great questioning uh, that more describes the thing that's most of us are doing. The pandemic gave us time to pause and we're saying, oh, man. So what we did was we were always ever widening circles.com. So when I started this in 2013, we've been ever widening circles um, right up until very recently. And um, when we saw that uh, the potential here was not only to point to signs of goodness and progress to tell the stories of people who have found their calling and are changing the world that no one knows about. I mean, this is the scary part is that I, I could, I think with quite a surety that I could tell you there are millions and millions of people out there in the world that are, that are functionally changing our future. And, and most of us will never hear about them um, unless somebody steps up and, and starts pointing to them too. It can't just be me. We've got to demand that our news outlets tell us the whole version of humanity and the story about the day. We've got to ask more of, of our organizations to, to um, promote a sort of a gratitude economy. You talked about values earlier. Mm. Did you know that 69% of us um, identify as values-driven consumers now? Mm, no, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, meaning that we are now uh, saying, "Oh, I don't want to spend my money with them. I want to spend my money with this group over here because they're they're making the world a better place." This is a huge trend. Yeah, yeah. I, well, actually, I do know about that because I just call it differently, purpose driven. So very similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the the um, the goodness e exchange. Bring, we brought all our two thousand articles and all these. I'm a podcaster too. I interview these people that we write about who are doing all these wonderful things in the world, and we brought it all. And we have a social media um, platform within the goodness exchange, so people who are doing good in the world and have good intention can find each other. And we just brought everything we'd created in the last seven years under one place. And we think it's going to serve to do something that I think is the most important. We've all got to begin to, to, to do what we can do. Just whatever it is, Jane, we've all got to begin to do what we can do today in this hour to make the world just that much better. And the weight of all that good intention will become unstoppable.
Yeah, and I think our audience is going to really agree with you there because, you know, that's, I, I hear the alignment between what you're doing and what we're doing at Sacred Changemakers oh, because this is, you know, there are some of us now stepping up and saying, you know, things need to change. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast is because, you know, you're doing such great things out there, really intentionally trying to kind of reshape uh, our worlds in a way. And so I think that is so important. And I love that question. It's a question we ask all the time at Sacred Changemakers is what can I do today with my life, like with my world, within my world? What, what is something that I am willing and ready to, to do? And it doesn't have to be huge, but it's all about us being citizens and taking responsibility for helping to shape the future that we want not mm-hmm. just passively going along for the ride, like you say, and getting the, sh- the, the future that we're given. So I think that's so important. I do. And, you know, Jane, I, I encourage people to just do what they can do. And, it, and the small things matter tremendously. Um, I, my mom recently passed away and I was standing in the line at the visitation, um, people coming through. And um, one of the young men who uh, came and said, I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Um, he said, he told me that that what he remembered most about my mom was that his brother was dying of AIDS back very early in the AIDS epidemic. And um, my mom went every day to visit um, his brother and his mother. And back then, you know, people thought that you could catch AIDS from other people just being in their presence. And he was so touched that my mom came day after day when everyone else was treating them like a pariah. And I never knew that story about my mom. Now, there's two good things happening there. A, my mom was doing something that I'm sure she thought was small, that she just thought was, she didn't think she was changing the world for anyone. But then by him t- even telling me that story, she's changed the world for me and 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 everyone that's hearing me tell it through you. And that's the way things go out in ever widening circles. I mean, that's the reason why I named the first website ever widening circles. Because I really think that even small things over the scope of time, we'll never know how we change the future with even the smallest kindness. Absolutely. And it's so good that you point to that, because I think there are a, there are a lot of people that I meet that get completely overwhelmed mm-hmm. in the fact that they know they want to be part of the solution. They want to be on the right side of history. Mm-hmm. But they just don't know what or how. And what I'm hearing is that, you know, it really doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something small and intimate. But like you said, that I've ever widening circles, the ripple effect just goes out. So mm-hmm. absolutely. So very important. Um, Dr. Linda, I, I'm just noticing the time. So um, I just wonder, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation and I know our listeners will have too, but I just wonder if there's anything you like want to share at the end, any words of wisdom or perhaps something that you'd wanted to get to that we haven't managed to cover yet, what might it be? May I tell you this, the, the, the story of the conspiracy of goodness? Yes, please do. Yeah. So, um, so I'd been, we'd been publishing all these articles and zooming around trying to change the negative dialogue about our times for about five years. When one day I was having a chat with somebody I was going to write about 
and he was asking me about ever-winning circles and i and he said oh my gosh it's just like the conspiracy of goodness story he said you know that story don't you and i said no and he said well his dad was the superintendent of schools in brooklyn and he always used to tell this story to young people so apparently um in world in 1986 there was uh, well i should say in in world war ii there was a little village called le chambon france that managed to save 3,500 Jews from a nearby concentration camp. Um, this little tiny Fred village with like no organization and at great risk to themselves, they managed to save all these people for, for years. Um, and they were mostly orphans. And so apparently um, uh, there was a, a Rabbi Harold Schulweiss who was giving a talk on this chapter of history that he called the conspiracy of evil. And I found this document in the internet written in 1986, where he was telling the story that as at his conspiracy of evil talk, an old man stood up in the back of the room to say he had been one of the Dutch rescuers. And the old man asked, do you think I could have saved an entire family in my home without the active participation of the milkman, the mailman and the neighbors? Mm. No, the old man said, for every one person saved, there were seven who were rescuers. It was, he said, a conspiracy of goodness. Oh. Now I've got goosebumps. <laughs> now, Jane, I, I, this is who we are. We are yeah. not what we see on the internet and the nightly news. We are good doers and givers, and 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 we always have been. The advent of the internet did not change that, or the twenty-four hour news cycle. It's really all about what we give our attention to expands, and if we start spending our attention like it was money, like like we really care what we're giving our attention to, moment by moment, and especially when we're on, in our online lives we can start seeing a world of incredible beauty and incredibly ingenious people. And we can start supporting them because that's how we get that version of reality in the future to rise to the top. And that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> yeah. We are the milkman, the mailman and the neighbors. Yeah. That's who we are. Oh my gosh. I just love that. I really do. And thank you for reminding us all of our, essence that are very cool because I think it's really important that we understand that you know sometimes what we consume is you know if we're not paying attention can be who we become yes and I think it's really important that we all take care to be intentional about who we are becoming as individuals in the world mm -hmm. but also as a collective so Gosh, Dr. Linda, thank you so much for our conversation today. It has been so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It was a delight. Thank you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all of the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us to make a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, 
you'll need to understand how to build a business that works today. So check out Coaches Business School's unique frameworks and methods to help you grow your business in a way that works for you and your clients and helps make a meaningful difference in our world. Hashtag transition team. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.